So this passage this morning that we're continuing on in our study of Hebrews, this passage mentions hope. And some of us are in the midst of battles and situations and up against sicknesses or job problems or family problems, and we need hope. So you're in the right place this morning. And um, I entitled the sermon, Cross My Heart. So uh, we'll see why that is uh, the title in just a moment. In the ancient world, you know, back in the days of the Bible, whenever people wanted to guarantee their promise, they would swear by a divine name, right? So depending on which gods or goddesses that they, uh, they attributed life to or whatever, they would swear by that name. It could be a god, a goddess, it could be the emperor. Many people thought the emperors were divine. Um, this swearing of their promise was a way to acknowledge that their God was a witness to the promise. And to swear to God was to uh, up the ante, right? They weren't just swearing on their mother's grave or something like that. They were swearing to, to God, right? Someone greater than themselves. And by upping the ante that way, they, they put themselves at risk. Um, it's kind of like raising a verbal lightning rod and declaring, you can believe me. And if I'm telling a lie... May God strike me dead. Have you heard that before? Uh, that was what they were saying when they, when they brought God's name into a promise. Even today, in our culture today, in formal wedding vows, we have this phrase in the formal vows which says, as God is my witness. So we're, we're bringing this covenant of marriage together in the eyes of God, as, with God as our witness. In our courts, we still have people who, who, who place their hands on the Bible, and they're asked, do you sw- solemnly swear to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, right? You've seen that in courtrooms, or you've had to do it yourself if you were in court. Now, when I was a kid, I used to promise saying, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Does any of you know that one? All right, a few of you. A few of you grew up uh, when I did. That's kind of gross, I know. I'm sorry. Um, as a kid, I never really thought about what it meant. I never really wanted that to happen. Um, I just knew it was serious. That was a way to get people to believe me. Cross my heart. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. I'm, I'm not lying to you, right? So that was my way of guaranteeing that. I looked into that phrase and that phraseology and this whole promise thing of crossing one's heart this week. And it does come from history, a, a, a solemn religious vow to, to you know, cross your heart with the cross of Jesus, right? Um, it came to us uh, at a different time than ourselves. Back in history, when, when someone's promise or someone's word was the most valued part of your relationship with them. If they told you they were going to do something, if they promised to do it, they, they promised and their word meant something. I'm not sure that's the kind of culture we live in today, but back then it came from a deep-seated place where the heart and the seal of the cross on the heart meant with God's help, I will do what I've just promised to do for you. So the words that came after cross my heart and hope to die, um, they added this exceptional value or this exceptional guarantee to whatever was being promised. Much like in the marriage vows where we say, till death do us part. 
Now, God's word is solid. He tells us again and again uh, how, how his word doesn't change. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 8, it says, The grass withers, the flowers, they fade away, but the word of God stands forever. Let's read that together. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. As we think about God's laws and his commandments, we know they don't change. We're told in God's word that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't take opinion polls to see if we like what he said. What he said is what he said. It's guaranteed. He stands firm generation to generation, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. God's word is mankind's only sure guide to life eternal and to life abundant here on earth. It is infallible, which means there's nothing wrong with it. It is infallible in every area, and it brilliantly reflects God's holy, unchangeable character. So in our passage this morning, we're reminded that God made a promise to Abraham a long time ago. In fact, the promise is found in in the book of uh, Genesis, the promise that he's talking about in chapter 6, verse 13 this morning. God made more than one promise to Abram. If you read through the, the book of Genesis, you notice that God keeps confirming his promise. But the one that has the guaranteed oath, where God swears on himself, swears using his own name, is found in Genesis 22, verse 16 through 19. It comes after Abraham was tested, where his faith was put on the line, where this promised child that finally came after waiting 25 years, God asked Abraham to sacrifice that child on an altar. Now, we know the story that God stepped in at the last moment and provided another sacrifice, but this double promise This guaranteed promise that God gives to Abraham comes right after that event. Abraham believed God so much to keep his promise about this son being the the way in which God was going to bless him by giving him nations of people, by, by being a blessing to the whole world. He believed God when he that that when he would bring his son to that altar. That even if he did sacrifice his son, somehow God would raise his son from the dead and the promise would still be solid. That's how solid Abraham's faith was in God. Now, he didn't have to follow through with it, but he, it says in the story in Genesis, he raised the knife ready to do it. And then God called out and gave him an alternative. He knew he was going to be faithful. You see, that kind of faith is, is true faith. And we're told in this passage to imitate. It starts in verse 12 where it says, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what was promised to them. And then he goes right on to talk about Abraham. Now, biblical faith, real biblical faith is a belief that's strong enough that you'll actually act on it. Not that you just believe it in your head, or in your heart, or in your soul, but that you act on it. You believe it so much that you 
will guarantee it by your action. You'll, you'll move forward in, in that belief. I wonder sometimes about our own faith. Do we have true biblical faith or are we kind of like waffling a little bit? So this passage in Hebrews is good for us. It'll help us to examine that. You see, God invoked himself as his own witness and enforcer of his promise in verse 13 and 14. It says, God made a promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater than himself to swear by, he swore by himself, right? See, you have to swear by something greater than yourself, a power greater than you. God, of course, was not able to do that because he's the greatest of all powers, And so he had to swear on himself. So when God wanted to let Abraham and all of us who follow in Abraham's faith, when he wanted to let us know how trustworthy his word and his promises were, he swore by himself. Which sounds a little funny, but if you're God, you can do it. Right? So how did Abraham respond to such a powerful promise? Well, just as we should respond. He waited patiently and received what God promised. It says in in verse 15. The fulfillment of the promise was not immediate. Oh, and we don't like to wait. We're Americans after all, you know. We want, we want things quick. We want them fast. We want, you know, that's why we like fast food so much. You just drive up, throw some money in one window, drive forward, grab your food and start eating, right? Who's got time? You know, we're, we're rushing, rushing, rushing. We don't like to wait. Abraham and Sarah waited a long time from the time God gave them the promise of a child till they finally had a child. And in between, they took things into their own hands because they were thinking, we better help God along here. It's taking a little longer than we thought it should. Maybe we need, we need to take some control. We know that story didn't end well. But God kept his promise. He would prove that he could do even the impossible and allow a 100-year-old man and a 95-year-old woman to have their first baby. Now, there's a couple 95-year-olds in here, no hundreds, but can you imagine? Can you imagine, Eva, having your first child tomorrow? You know, that'd be crazy, right? That'd be a miracle. And this truly was a miracle. You see, that was a 25-year waiting period that they had to wait. That's a long time to wait. But, you know, if things appear slow with God, that never means that he's forgotten his promise or that he has somehow changed his mind. It's just not possible. This is not the kind of God that we serve. So the preacher of Hebrews is reminding his church, which also is going through a time of waiting and going through a time of difficulty. He's reminding them of this, that they need to wait patiently and believe, believe that God keeps his word. Because when God makes a promise, he can be trusted. He can be trusted. He doesn't make a promise and then then go back on it. Now, this word promise is followed up by, by uh, the oath, right? He, he makes a promise and then he swears on it. He takes an oath, it says there in verse 16. Now, so that's kind of like a, a, double, a double promise, right? Now, an oath is usually taken in front of someone else. 
Right? So if, if two parties are going to promise one another something, they bring someone in and say, you be the witness to our promise. And then the oath is taken in front of that person as the promise is being made. That person is also responsible to impose the, any punishment on the promise maker if they fail to follow through. The ability to enforce the promise is actually given to the person who's the witness. So God is his own witness who has the power to fulfill it, but also has the power to punish, and he will make, it, make sure that it gets done. In verse 16, verse 16 it says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. To make an oath was to seal one's promise with one's own life. Now we know that God did that. He laid down his life through his son Jesus for us. In the Old Testament, they, they, they would kill animals. And those animals would symbolize the curse of death if the two parties who were entering that covenant, if either of them broke the covenant, there was a curse on that. We're going to talk about that in Hebrews chapter 9. It comes up again. Now remember, this original message was preached to Jews who were raised in the system, the religious system of that day. There were animal sacrifices in the temple. They saw that. That was, that was a foreshadowing of the death of Christ. So... Here, God not only promises to bless and multiply Abraham and his descendants, but he also swears to accomplish it. And it is impossible for God to lie under any circumstances. Do you believe that, people? When you're in the middle of a struggle, when everything's screaming at you, doubt, fear, anxiety, this is a very important point to remember. It is impossible for God to lie to you. His word is that solid, that true, that perfect in every way. So the preacher here, speaking to his, his Hebrew congregation, he's spending so much time establishing the trustworthiness of God because God's guaranteed promise is not just to Abram and, and, and Sarah, but to all who follow in that faith, all who put their faith in God, as Abraham did. They're, they're called heirs of the promise. They inherit the promise that God gave to Abraham. See, believers who have fled to take hold of the hope that's offered us may be greatly encouraged, it says in verse 18. We who have fled to take hold of the hope that's offered to us may be greatly encouraged. I want you to be greatly encouraged today. If you have fled to take hold of Christ and of the promise of eternal life and forgiveness of sins, I want you to be encouraged that promise can't be broken. It's not possible. No matter what your emotions tell you or the other thoughts and feelings that, that involve your soul, it cannot be changed. It cannot be gone back on. It cannot be broken because it was made by a perfect God who cannot lie. And the hope that he's offered us in Christ is guaranteed. 
Guaranteed. You see, God secured his promise by adding his guarantee, his unchanging word, by his unchangeable life. There's two unchangeable things that it's mentioned here in in verses 17 and 18. The two unchangeable things would remove any doubt in God's reliability. Any any doubt in God's, God's wisdom and God's power to be able to fulfill his promises. The first thing is the promise itself. The fact that God made a promise in the first place. But then the accompanying oath on top of the promise is the absolute guarantee. 100%. There is no room for change in what God has promised us in Christ. You see, church, as, as God's people, we need to land there. We need to stay there. We need to cement ourselves into that place of knowing that God is who God says he is. God will do what God has promised to do. And he has accomplished it all through Christ and then granted it to us through his beautiful grace. It's impossible that he would go back. The preacher here wants to make sure they understand this. Now, we've talked about sort of the setting of this book. It's a little bit mysterious. Either it's just at the beginning of some persecutions for the church, or it hasn't quite started yet, and God is kind of preparing them for more persecution. They receive persecution just leaving Judaism and and following Christ. We know that. But as far as like the Roman Empire and, and all the other things that come soon in the history of what has taken place in the first century church... There's a lot of difficulty ahead for the church. There's a lot of persecution. They'll be thrown to the lions. They'll be, you know, they'll be crucified on crosses. There's a lot coming in their future. And God is preparing them. No matter what you see, no matter what you feel, no matter what you think, if it's contrary to what I have told you, it's not true. The only thing that's true and guaranteed is what I have told you. Trust me. In other words, God's saying, trust me. I can be trusted. God gives us such strong encouragement to cling to the hope that has been set before us. Now, I need to illustrate this. This is why I didn't let Tanya do it this morning, because she'd ruin it with the kids. And it's not just for kids. It's for kids and adults, big kids. But if we had a rope that we were encouraged to hold on to, it would have to be on something that we could trust in, right? I can trust in this because that old organ, Linda, I don't know how, old the, how much the organ weighs, but it weighs a lot. I tried to move it this morning. It won't move, right? So we have this firm anchor, this cord that's attached to an anchor. Now, this is a picture of rock, rock climbing. I don't know how many of you ever go hiking up... Uh, in Wachusett, the Wachusett Reservoir area, not Reservoir, the Wachusett Mountain area, there's a place called Crow's Hill. And it's these big, big granite cliffs. And you can't actually, if you stand at the bottom of the cliff, you can't actually see the top because it kind of comes out a little bit and then goes around. And you see ropes hanging down from there. Have any of you ever been there? I know Miles and Christina, you must have been there. Uh, they like to hike. Um, there's these ropes that are just hanging at the bottom. And sometimes the people have already climbed the top and you're hiking by and you're like, oh, What's what's that there for? You know, it's just this rope. It is attached to the granite at the top like this, right? They put all their hope in that rope. Because if they get halfway up that cliff and those little knobby things, those things that they've 
shoved down into the granite and made sure there's... If one of those gives way, or if both of them give way in this case, that's the end of it for them. There's just boulders at the bottom of, of Crow's Hill. If they're up near the top, just about done, and this thing gives way, that's it. Life is over, right? They're not going to do too well. So the idea of an anchor is planted here for us. This idea that we can hold on to an anchor should greatly encourage us. In fact, verse 19, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. An anchor for our soul. Now, we study the soul sometimes because it's, it's, it's an interesting thing between what the Hebrew culture thought soul meant, what the G- Greeks do, what we do. There's a Disney movie out about the soul. Don't watch it. But um, it's, uh, our soul is, is kind of like who we are. Maybe our, our mind, our thoughts, our emotions, our history, our temperament, you know, kind of who we are. We can, we can trust and put our hope in the anchor, it says. We have hope in an anchor for the soul. And then the words are firm and secure. If it's not secure, you won't put your trust in it. You won't climb very high, right? So, so the, the, the anchor is at the end. The anchor is our organ here this morning, right? Now, I'm not going to go and sit on the organ. I'm going to, I'm going to need it as an anchor, right? Because I'm out here in life. I'm still down here on earth with you, you know? But we have one who has gone before us, one who has already entered into heaven. He has come down. He's lived his life. He taught us some things about the kingdom of God. He showed us the kingdom of God. Then he laid down his life for us, rose again in victory over death and sin. But that wasn't the end of the story, right? A few days later, several days later, actually, he went out with his disciples out onto the Mount of Olives. And then it says he ascended into heaven. And when I read this, I was like, this is like the guy, Andrea, go back one slide if you could. This is like the guy who went first up to the top of the cliff and then hammered these things in. Because somebody had to go up there before there was a rope, right? That could be attached to something secure. They didn't just throw the rope up and then magically it went, you know, stuck these things. No, no, someone actually went up there before there was a rope, so they had to climb it without a rope. They had to put themselves in that kind of danger. But they got to the top and they secured it. And it's like Jesus did that for us. And then he throws down the rope. And he's like, okay, it's secure. You can put all your weight on it. You can climb it. So, so this idea that we should be greatly encouraged because we have this anchor, this anchor that's firm and secure. And then it says, it has entered into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Now again, Let's think Hebrews. Let's think the temple sacrifices. There's a place within the temple, the Holy of Holies. We've talked about this. We're going to talk about it again because Melchizedek is going to uh, teach us some more things. But this idea that there's a Holy of Holies, there's a place in the presence of the holiness of God. And after sacrifices have been made, the high priest could enter in once a year. He could enter in and he could be in that place. Now we have one, Jesus himself, who has come to earth 
has done his ministry for us and has now gone and entered into. And it's like he threw down a rope. He's given us this hope that through his grace and through his love and through his forgiveness, we can, we can follow him. If we follow the rope, if we keep holding firmly and we don't let go and we continue to climb and we continue to go through the hard things in life and we continue to, to, to have faith and we continue to put our faith in God alone and not in our own actions and not in our own goodness, but we keep going and we keep going and we keep going. Eventually, where do we end up? In the inner sanctuary, in the Holy of Holies, in heaven with God. Because Jesus led the way. He gave us a rope to follow. A rope of hope. I think they rhyme for a reason. So you won't forget, right? This cord is attached to an anchor. An anchor that's firm and secure. An anchor is no good if it's not tied to anything. This rope is no good to me. I have another one here. No good to me. I can't climb anything until I attach it to something. So our rope, our rope is attached by Christ behind the curtain in the holy place of God. It's like Christ went in there and tied it to God's throne. The other end is not tied to an organ. It's tied to the throne of God. And he said, just keep climbing. Just keep trusting. I know it's hard, but God is at the end of this rope. Can you imagine? I'm like so excited by this thought. I'm like, I'm going to... I'm going to just keep climbing because when I get to the end, guess what's there? God himself, the presence of God, the holiness of God, the perfection of God, everything that God has promised, a place where there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there's no fear, there's no, there's none of the things that ruin our lives down here on earth, none of them can be in God's presence. In God's presence, it's the fullness of joy. Something none of us have ever had. We've had a little joy, maybe a lot of joy on certain days, but the fullness of joy, that's in the presence of God. So at the end of this rope, at the end of the hope that we place in Christ, the trust that we put in him is everything you could have ever dreamed of and more. That's how good God is. That's how good Christ is, that he's given us an anchor for our soul, that he's tied He's tied our hope to the throne of God, to the presence of God. It's behind the curtain. It's in that place where, where God dwells. That's where we're headed when we put our faith in Christ. The anchor is secure because of who it's attached to. It has to be attached. If it's not attached, then you're just floating around. Whatever the storm happens, you'll go crashing into the rocks or you'll go out to sea or you'll sink because you don't have an anchor. People, we need an anchor in our lives. Life is hard. And your anchor should not be money. As much as our culture tells you, oh, just get a couple million dollars and put your anchor on that thing. Guess what? It can go overnight. Remember the parable Jesus told about the rich man who had so much wealth? He, he said, oh, I'm going to build new barns. So he tore down the other ones and, and he was going to build new barns to put all his wealth in. And Jesus said, oh, you foolish man. Tonight, you're going to die. And all that stuff is staying here. And you're not able to take it with you. So don't put your hope in your wealth. Don't put your hope in your health either. Guess what? These bodies are temporary. They're given to us to, you say amen, dad? Amen. I'm, I'm with you. They're temporary. 
There's a glorified one waiting for you and for me and for all who put our hope in Christ. And that glorified one, it can't feel pain. It can only be what God created it to be in its perfection, in its glory. See, Jesus has entered this holy place on our behalf. The word actually he uses in this passage is great. It's a forerunner, right? He's our forerunner. He went before us and he ran. I love that. I, I, I get tears in my eyes because I think about the, the, the idea of the prodigal son and the prodigal father and them running to one another and just that welcome home thing. I think when Jesus came home into God's presence, like God must have been so proud of him because he had done exactly what God asked him to do. He had laid down his life for us that God's family could be expanded by millions. And Jesus did this work out of love for his father and love for us. He must have been so proud and so full of joy to enter into that place with his father again in the throne room of God. Jesus was our forerunner though, which means we can follow him. We can run that race. We can get to the end. We can get into that place with the father where God looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You did a good job. It wasn't easy, was it? No, it wasn't easy at all. But you did it. You kept your faith securely in my son and in what my son has done for you. See, Jesus is a forerunner who enters as a high priest, this passage ends. He became, he has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We'll get into Melchizedek soon, very soon. Chapter 7, so if you're reading ahead with our reading plan, you'll read about this great high priest next week. You see, the Hebrew Christians who first heard this sermon, they had always looked back to Abraham as the father of their faith, but they had to look back. And they knew that Abraham had died, and Sarah had died. And their son had died and their grandson had died. And so, so they looked back, but all they could see back there was, was the history, but nothing that could be alive anymore until Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill the promise that was given to Abraham. Jesus is the better anchor than Abraham. Jesus is the anchor that's still alive in heaven for us. He's our high priest He's interceding for us. He's, he's cheering us on. He's, he's, he's giving us hope and strength. He's not dead and in a grave somewhere. He's alive forevermore. And Jesus is the, the best anchor for our lives. Believers in Christ can come from any race, any ethnicity. They don't have to be Jewish, born of Abraham and, and Sarah. Physically, they have to be born again of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, which has been given to all people who call on the name of the Lord. See, we are Abraham's offspring. No matter what your nationality, no matter what your race, in Christ, through the Spirit, you become a child of Abraham. You become a, an heir of the promise. Galatians 3.29 20, says we are, we are Abraham's offspring. We are heirs according to the promise. You see, the double guarantee of God's promise, which was given to Father Abraham, is completed in Jesus, God's son. And all who trust in him as the anchor 
of their souls. So this is where it comes to the question. What is my life anchored in? Where am I headed? What am I striving for and, and, and working towards? Where do I put my trust? These are all good questions for us because as heirs of the promise, we need to be tied to our hope and our hope needs to be tied to Christ and Christ has already gone ahead and tied this all to the throne and we can become direct descendants of the Most High God, children of God, Scripture calls us, and that is what we are in Christ Jesus. It's crazy blessing. If you think about this long enough, if you meditate on it, if you process this in your prayers, it's crazy blessing to think this. And it's the truth guaranteed by God's word. So my encouragement to you is take hold of the hope that's offered to you in Jesus Christ. There is no other hope, no other strong anchor that can hold you in this life. Every other rope's going to snap at one point or the other, except for the one that Christ has given to us, his very life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the throne room of God. He left us a rope of hope. So put your hope in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for how solid it is and how helpful it is. We come to you humbly and we ask you to teach us how to live with our lives anchored, secure and firmly in the hope of Christ Jesus. God, we admit that sometimes we, we put some faith in other things. We put some faith in ourselves. We put some faith in, in finances. We put some faith in the government. We, 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 we're crazy sometimes. And we ask you to use your word to, to bring us to our senses and to our right mind and remind us of how good you have been to us through Christ Jesus. And how secure our future is in him. In his love, in his sacrifice, in his life. Pour your life into us by your spirit. Confirm it with your word. And continue to help us to hold firmly to our hope in Jesus. We pray this in his holy and powerful name. Amen. Amen.